Yo, yo, what is going on, everybody? Pete Forsey, the podcast, and we are live, or maybe not live, depending on when you're listening to this, probably Friday. Hopefully, you're gearing up for the weekend. Maybe I'm catching you a little bit later, but nonetheless, we are here, our first episode from the Chicago studios, and it is pretty glamorous here. New digs, new amenities, it's great, but the same good quality, maybe even elevated a bit here on the podcast for you. I hope you're ready for a very good episode here today. We're touching on a lot of things. We're going to bat lead off with All or Nothing, the Amazon series featuring the Carolina Panthers. I just wrapped up uh, episode one and lots of highlights on Cam Newton. No surprise there. He's their best player. Um, Have some thoughts on that as far as where that series is going and what I think about that series as a whole. We're going to be talking more NFL again. Tyreek Hill, probably a decision coming, if you haven't heard it already, they love to drop news the NFL 4 p.m. Eastern on a Friday. That's what they do. That way they can see how uh, the reporters react to it, see how the fans react to it over the weekend, and then address it further. So don't be surprised if we have a Tyreek Hill uh, response coming from Goodell on the 19th this Friday. Additionally, we're going to touch on Zeke. Melvin Gordon, are they going to hold out? There's a lot coming at us here on Training Camp. It's episode 24 of the podcast. Let's get to it. I put it on Snapchat. I stopped immediately when I saw it. I was right there watching the episode, and I clicked pause, put on Snap, because I was just so shockingly not surprised to see that in the very first few minutes of the All or Nothing series featuring the Carolina Panthers, episode one, you got Cam Newton. That's not a surprise. But number two, it's not even him doing anything related to playing quarterback for his team. Here's the thing, if the New England Patriots were on all or nothing, of course, they win too much to be on a series like that. That access will never be granted. It, uh, it just won't happen in, the, in this era with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. But hypothetically, I think the Amazon series would have nothing to go off of with Tom Brady but him just going through his habitual process to play quarterback. It would likely lead off with him in the film room, in a dark room, sitting in a comfy chair with a notebook, grinding on tape, slicing and dicing, cutting up film, man. That's what we would probably get with Tom Brady. With Cam Newton, we see him walking out to the practice field preparing. He's on his phone And he's talking to someone, whoever, about Beyonce. And he's trying to select a song for practice, which is commonplace. But he's joking around, dancing, kind of gallivanting around the practice field. And I'm just like, you know, I I wouldn't expect anything else when highlighting Cam Newton. It was was just so fitting. And, yeah, no surprises there. I, I had to hit pause, had to let everybody know that I was, it really geared me up for it. If anything, I was just geared up to see how far is this going to go? How, what else are we going to see? And I was, I was a bit disappointed with the rest of episode one. It was pretty uh, unremarkable. Not a whole lot of Chris, Christian McCaffrey, who's their best, most dynamic playmaker outside of Cam on offense since, uh, since the time he's been there. Uh, they didn't highlight him at all. Now, I know, if I recall, he didn't have a great game against the Dallas Cowboys in week one this, because, it, of course, it highlights the 2008 season. But nonetheless, I would still expect him to, like, you know, talk about him a little bit. You know, you threw in some Greg Olson there. 
Um, you know, he gets hurt, uh, hurts his ankle or his foot in week one during the 2018 season. He goes out. Uh, but everything else, you know, it's just kind of boring. They talk about David Tepper and, you know, his new ownership, and it's just him shaking hands, talking to people, getting ready for the game. Oh, hey, where are we going to go? Are we going to go down to the field? No, we're going to go outside. It was just all the things that you see with this Amazon series, which it is great. I think it's better than Hard Knocks because it really focuses on the players that everybody cares about, Cam Newton, Olsen, Dinkit McCaffrey. But when you're uh, going with the team, that's who they talk about, where HBO Hard Knocks, that focuses on the rookies, kind of their background, their their rags-to-riches stories, which, look, those are always great. Those are always fun to see, but it's also kind of tired. We, I mean, they happen all the time. This also has more access, Amazon or nothing. It goes behind the, the coaches. You see more of uh, that unvarnished uh, communication between the coaching staff, what they think. Uh, and it also focuses on the games because it's in season. So really hyped for All or Nothing. Kind of disappointed, uh, especially after the leadoff there with Cam in Episode 1. But hopefully it picks up here. By the next time we talk, hopefully I will have the entire series done. I will still be on the edge of my seat. All right, one thing that we didn't get a chance for last week, I was pretty disappointed. It came out on Friday, dropped last episode on Thursday. It was reported by the Wall Street Journal that Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones, spearheaded one of the meetings between the NFL owners and the NFLPA about an 18-game schedule. That's something that they're really pushing for. They've really been pushing for it, I want to say like 10 years now. But the next CBA, which they're trying to negotiate with the NFL Players Association, that seems to be their... uh, what they're trying to accomplish, what they're uh, trying to leverage and get the PA to cave on. And it got me thinking, you know, would I like that? What are the ramifications for something like that? And what, what that would do just with the NFL at large in the future. And me, anyone who knows me, knows that I can take all the football that I can get. I watch football on Sundays all day. I come home, I watch football on Mondays, I watch every single Thursday night game. I want, you know, Tuesday morning football, okay? I'll take all the NFL I can get. I watch the London games on Saturdays, I wake up at 9 a.m. and watch those. Yeah, I'll take 18 games, sounds great. Do I think preseason games are necessary? I do. For the, you know, bottom feeders on the roster, those are critical game reps, while I do think football is a sport of athleticism, purely uh, measured up against another, you still got to play football to get better at football. So I think those games are critical, those four preseason games for a lot of folks. However, you know, from an entertainment perspective, perspective, excuse me, am I okay sacrificing two of those for two regular season games? Yes. Unless you're telling me there's a max out on games for each player. What a ridiculous rule that the owners threw out there. I don't even think they want this. I think this was just, let's see how the media and the public, how they react to this. And if they're listening to this podcast, which I hope they are, this is just the dumbest thing ever. When and where and whichever sport has there ever been a time where the rules stipulate a player has to stop playing simply because they played too much. That's never been the case. I, I was baffled when I saw this. 18 games, yeah. Max out on playing time? No, I don't want to see the backup quarterback come in just because. If the backup quarterback's going to come in for strategic, okay. For injury, okay. 
for any other reason, I'm fine with it. I also don't want to see the pass rusher not be available against one of the best quarterbacks in the league because he's out of playing time. Ultimately, this 18-game schedule I don't think is going to happen. It affects too many players that have marginal careers in the NFL, guys that battle through injuries virtually every year. Two extra games is a lot, especially at the end of any season when all those blows to the different body parts add up. The further you get along in the season, that toll just becomes greater and greater, and man, you are at far risk of suffering even more severe injuries. And ultimately, that's why I don't think it's going to happen. However, what it would do, and this is also partially why I'm on board with it, it would be a line of demarcation. Really, it would just almost be a switching of the eras. You know, in baseball all the time, we talk about the dead ball era, the live ball era. That's what this could be with the NFL, the 18-game era. Because a lot of this talk, especially with all the talented quarterbacks that we have nowadays, there seems to be a lot of reporters out there from what I can gather from listening, reading, all the different consumptions, is that when you stack up all the stats 10 years from now, they're going to feel compelled to put people in the Hall of Fame that they shouldn't. I I remember Donovan McNabb just, uh, I mean, maybe it was like a month ago, a few weeks ago, he said that he thinks he should be in the Hall of Fame because his stats stack up against the others that that aren't there. And ultimately, you know, I'll listen to that argument, but the thing is, say out loud, Donovan McNabb, Hall of Famer. No. No. Donovan McNabb is not a Hall of Famer. His stats, you know, while looking pretty good, they're not Hall of Fame worthy because they didn't generate Hall of Fame impact. Stats can come in a variety of different ways but ultimately get you to the same destination. And I think when talking about 18 games... The Patrick Mahomes, the Baker Mayfields, the Sam Darnolds, even the Cam Newtons, he won't have the passing yard totals, but guys from that era, their passing totals, their touchdowns, all the counting stats that typically garner Hall of Fame uh, consideration, they're going to look different compared to guys from the mid-2000s because the rules are so different. The game has changed. It's a passing league. So you shouldn't have to put those guys in the Hall of Fame because they stack up against them like that. It was a different game. It was a different set of rules. The the difficulty to scoring a touchdown in their league, in their game, is different from guys from 10 years ago. So ultimately, I think the 18 game could serve as like a dividing line almost. So that's secondary to what I think. I don't think 18 games is going to happen. Primarily, I want it because I can take all the football all day long. I could take it 24-7. I was really sad when the Super Bowl came along. I was pretty hype on the AAF. That lasted for, what, uh, four weeks? Uh, I thought it had some potential, but then the money ran out. 18 games, yes, unless you're telling me I got to have a cap on the amount of time players can play. Okay, some of you may be disappointed that I did uh, did not include the trade deadline talk. Cardinals baseball MLB trade trade deadline um, overall at the beginning because I know it's that time of year but you know Cam Newton he had my attention there but we're, we're going to shift it back over to trade deadline targets where guys will move specifically the Cardinals 
And I, I gotta I gotta go back. Okay, I gotta rewind a little bit because I said it at the beginning of the month in July, and I'm still saying it now. John Mazalock, have you picked up the phone and called the Cincinnati Reds for Yasiel Puig? Yasiel Puig is now over an average clip uh, as far as replacement level players in Major League Baseball. He's got a weighted runs created of 105, weighted OBA of 332. So. Um, he's at the average clip there getting on base. However, what he's doing is he's slugging at an incredible late rate, and that's exactly what you need if you're the Cardinals. Yeah, Seal Pui is going to be a free agent. He won't cost much. Some people think it will be driven up because he's within the division because he's on the Reds. Here's the deal. I think the Reds, while they say publicly that they're trying to contend, they know they can't, okay? Dick Williams says it. They're GM Nick Kral. Okay, he comes from smart roots. He knows he can't build this team up any further. Okay, he cannot, uh, he cannot compete with so many teams ahead of him at this point. So if John Mazalock or my uh, Gersh goes to Nick Crawl and says, "Hey, look, we want Puig. Which of our arms do you like? Which arm at the lower levels or even the mid-tier levels do you like, and do you want to beat us with later? Okay, because we need a power hitting source. We like Yasiel. He's been." basically one of the best hitters over the last month in baseball, we'd love to take him straight up swap. If they ask for two players, that's where it gets a little tricky, okay? You can take an arm, and then maybe you take a lower-level infielder, or maybe someone like Max Schrock, an infielder that is at the higher levels but is uh, not really living up to his draft status thus far. I think it was like a, a second-round pick by the A's. Uh, it was pretty talented when uh, the Cardinals traded for him. However, he hasn't been so great in the St. Louis organization. I think you could get him cheaper than a lot of people think, especially because it's two months. Um, he's going to be a free agent after the year. And you know the Cardinals have talented arms. They always do. Some of them aren't panning out here at the major league level, quite like at the uh, initial success that some of those guys did in like 2013. You remember, uh, you remember uh, what's his face? He burnt out. Matheny killed him. Seth Manus. Okay, you remember Kevin Segris, Trevor Rosenthal. All those guys came up and they were just instantly high-impact guys. So while the Cardinals haven't been having that lately, you can still see that there's talent. So if I'm the Reds, I scout some of their arms, see one that's high-end that could potentially be uh, maybe like a number two starter in the rotation one day, and give him Yasiel Puig. It's it's not that hard, okay? The Reds are out of it. They know it. John Mazzella, I pick up the phone with Yasiel Puig. Other than that, the whole thing about this trade deadline is that you know, I, I got some people that asked me, you know, what would you do? What would you trade for so-and-so? What would you target? Would you? Who would you not give up? And a lot of these hypotheticals, they operate under so many unknowns. So Will Smith of the Giants, yeah, I think the Cardinals could use Will Smith. But ultimately, what are you giving up? Are you giving up like Lane Thomas? Yeah, I think I'd do that. I think I'd give up Lane Thomas. Would I give up Dylan Carlson? No, I would not. Dylan Carlson is raking in the minor leagues. This guy's 20 years old, and I don't believe he's at AAA yet. I think he's still at AA, but, man, he he's just a monster. This 2016 first-round pick of the Cardinals, I wouldn't give... Someone would have to be pretty good for for me to give up uh, all those six years of control of Dylan Carlson because he is ascending at a very young age through the minor leagues. I, it would have to be a... Uh, you know, I, I might say Zach Granke... I'd have to have him in a trade, okay? You know, there's a lot of shade thrown on Granky because he makes $34 million a year. But guess what? He kind of deserves it. He's still an ace. He's pitching like one. 
I, I don't know why it's such a detriment. I don't know why people are like turned off by that, especially a team like the Cardinals. Like you can pay it. <laughs> you, you have the money. So if you want to trade Dylan Carlson for Zach Granke, and, and that wouldn't be, uh, that wouldn't be the total package, which is kind of why you know stuff like this is difficult. But you know, I, I would not be upset giving up Dylan Carlson for someone like that. Um, Madison Bumgarner. I think his play will elevate if he goes to a smarter organization. I don't know if that's the Cardinals necessarily. Because I've kind of been thinking about the Cardinals. As great and talented as their arms are, they're all kind of the same from like six years ago. High heaters, high fastball velocity, tight sliders. The thing is, is, you know, it seems like more and more those sliders are getting hit out of the ballpark now. Seems like some of these guys, you know, they don't have the stuff of like the Seagrass. You know, the Carlos Martinez back in the day. And the thing about it, it, it could be like a philosophy thing. How, how many Cardinal pitchers have just great curveballs? How many? Miles Michaelis, I mean, it was great last year, not as great this year. And plus, he wasn't even a Cardinals farmhand. Adam Wainwright, he's one. He's still got the curveball. It'll work every now and then. But we all know he's over the hill. Curveballs are the exact uh, poison to this launch angle era. And none of the Cardinals have a guy who's just got a devastating curveball. Not one. I'm starting to think, what what's the philosophy going on here at the lower levels? I know you're picking talent. I know you can identify it. But are, are you just simply going by volume here and trying to hit on as many guys that you can carve out as possible? And then if they don't pan out, just move on to the next one that's got a high fastball? In tight slider, because I, I, I think we need to reevaluate how we look at how they're going about pitching. Because right now it's just not working. These pitchers are talented, but they're not getting it done. And I know I kind of stray from the trade deadline here, but maybe that's something that uh, needs to be considered when picking up an arm here before July 31st. Look for a guy who's got a wipeout curveball that can rack up some Ks and keep the ball in the dang ballpark, because right now it keeps flying out and the Cardinals have been suffering. Another bit of news that came out last Friday along with the 18-game schedule proposal is Melvin Gordon said, or at least his agent was out there telling the public, he may not show up for camp if he doesn't receive a new contract. Of course, Melvin Gordon running back for the Los Angeles Chargers. Had a very good year last year. Played in all 16 games the first time that he did that. And of course, had that very, very porous 2015 rookie season and it's why I'm um, having a hard time understanding why he thinks he has leverage Um, you know I can certainly understand why the minute you have a great year and being a running back you want to cash in as early as possible but this is this is just kind of an ill-fated attempt if you ask me Melvin Gordon people thought you were a bust after your rookie year people thought you were a bust now you have certainly had the most yards when facing eight men boxes. You you certainly are good at running in traffic, okay? I will give you that. But just like any running back, I, I, will, I will say it until the cows come home. If you are an elite running back, if you're a Hall of Fame running back, there's only so much you can do in this game. This game is dependent on other factors, no more than the running back position. Your offensive lineman, your wide receivers blocking the defenders and how they 
align during certain downs and when they're anticipating runs, the play calling, it's a, a running back cannot carry the mail, okay? He, can, he can't carry the load if people are hurt. He can't carry the load uh, even by design a lot of the times. It takes a cohesive unit. And that's why, you know, when you're looking at the Chargers, they got a stingy offensive line. They're pretty good. They're not great. They got good receivers that, uh, you know, have a, a very versatile route tree. You know, Keenan Allen and all those guys. And they also have this guy called uh, called Philip Rivers. He's a Hall of Famer. A lot of people seem to be recognizing that now in comparison to Eli and how he's aged and how Philip is aged, even though Philip has pretty much been a Hall of Famer for the like, past six years. Um, yeah, they have a Hall of Fame quarterback that can make a lot of different throws and knows how to manage a game very well, uh, puts his team in the right spots, just did a beautiful job early on, especially against the Baltimore Ravens in that playoff game in January. Melvin Gordon, you also missed uh, time. Oh, it was this year. Yeah, you missed time this year. Excuse me, your 16 games was, uh, wasn't was even this prior season. You missed time this year, and they didn't miss a beat. The offense was still, you know, humming. So I don't understand his leverage exactly. I understand, you know, him trying to cash in. And if he feels like this is his best shot, okay. I mean, but just know it it's it's going to fail. I, I don't see the Chargers really uh, caving to this. If I'm Tom Telesco, I'm happy you potentially hold out. You're not going to get hit in training camp. It'll preserve your body. Just show up week one, ready to go, tote the rock, and, and all will be good. Now, on the flip side, there's Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott just met with the commissioner uh, for what is probably, I don't know, the second or third time since he entered the league. And this guy is also reported to be potentially holding out if he doesn't receive a new contract from the Dallas Cowboys. This is a situation where, you know, you would think Ezekiel Elliott just had to meet with the commissioner because uh, he bumped a security guard in Vegas. Uh, of course, there was the domestic violence case that Goodell uh, suspended him for back in the 2017 season. There was the pulling the girls top down uh, in between that uh, investigation. And then there was him walking into a weed dispensary before his first preseason game. You would think that Ezekiel Elliott probably doesn't have that much leverage. Again, another running back. However, he kind of does. And some might be saying, well, this is just forcey because he watches the freaking Cowboys all the time. He wants Zeke to get his money. No, okay, I, I, I really don't care. I'm simply just looking at the situation. And when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, I think anybody who even just pays half attention to them knows that they have three all-pros on their offensive line. One who's just coming back from a, I don't know the disease, it was really just random, but their center, Travis Frederick. They don't know if he's going to be healthy necessarily. They got Lael Collins. Uh, he's going to be a, a free agent after the season. He's not an all-pro, but he's their right tackle. He'll be on the open market after 19. This team is built to have a, a star running back through it. Now, you need those other players healthy and going, but with where the quarterback has been at and where and what they've asked him to do, Dak Prescott, and how they've built the defense to be stingy, to give up yards, but not to take the ball away. Ben, don't break. And when they don't have a very uh, wide playbook, when it's not all that creative, when it's you know straight out of like 
2006, you kind of need the running back to maximize the Super Bowl contention because um, th- that that's what Ezekiel Elliott brings. Alfred Morris, he was plenty good down the stretch in the 17. But there was a difference with Ezekiel Elliott, especially with him playing every single down, not tipping your hand on the different plays. I, I mean, that was the thing with Alfred Morris in the mix is that when he came off the field with uh, with Rod Smith, you, you just knew the play designs. You knew the play calls would, would shrink or would uh, things would be taken off the table based on that because when Zeke's in there, he's obviously a three-down back, and you know they're not giving anything away there. So they might have to pay Ezekiel Elliott. And it's not because they think he's a supernatural force at the running back position, okay? He's been very good. But like I said before, it's dependent upon numerous guys so when you look at it the way this team has been built it needs that caliber of a running back but the play designs the entire playbook how they use all of their players offense and defense is surrender centered around the production of that running back so you need that elite fellow the Chargers didn't they they got a more dynamic passer they got more dynamic receivers they got a a better offensive coordinator I think it's just a I mean Cowboys are running out Kellen Moore for crying out loud, okay? And I, I think the guy's, you know, got some potential, but it's just an unknown at this point. So they might have to pay Zeke Elliott because he's the he's an impetus on that offense, whereas Melvin Gordon, you saw it last year. You can take him out, and they can do a lot of different other things on offense. The Cowboys, it throws a wrench in their plans. You would need significant strides from Dak Prescott, which I think he can make a few but you just don't really bank on it. They might have to pay Ezekiel Elliott. I think they want to take care of Dak Prescott first, set a precedent, set a tone, see if he doesn't max out, but you know gets taken care of at the quarterback position, and see if they can get Zeke to do a similar thing, and then Amari Cooper down the line. Ezekiel Elliott might actually have more leverage than, say, Melvin Gordon. We'll see if these two running backs do indeed hold out into training camp. Appreciate everyone listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Continue to click play. Continue to share. If you're doing that, tell your friends. Tell your girlfriends. Tell uh, tell your dad. Maybe he likes uh, to talk ball with you. We're going to be talking even more NFL. Training camp is officially starting this weekend. I think it's the Broncos that are kicking off here. So Drew Locke, a lot of Missouri fans out there, I know they'll be tuning in to see his, uh, see his reps compared to Joe Flacco. Uh, I, I got some thoughts on the Broncos, you know, and I'll be sharing that as we ac- approach the regular season. But basically, you know, I kind of think they're not really getting their due here, and we need we need to take a second look. And it, uh, upon further review, the Broncos actually look uh, look kind of nice. So continue to hit me up, questions, comments, anything at Pete4C, all social media. Go ahead, hit me up there. Voicemails eight one six two two six. 7483. Go ahead, hit that up. Hit the text line. I'll read it right here on the show. I'll put your voice right here on the show. You can be a part of the podcast, and we'll just keep churning along. Enjoy the weekend. We will see you next week.